0: Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, welcome to episode 39 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. How is your 2020 going so far? I've been working nonstop on something really special for you all. I'm so excited to soon be launching the Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive Progress Pathway Coaching Program. I help musicians, actors, and dancers cultivate authentic connections with audiences and industry gatekeepers so that they can build a thriving career in the arts without feeling overwhelmed or doubting themselves. If you want to stop letting fear and a lack of knowledge hold you back, I can empower you with confidence and profile-building strategies to propel you to the next level. The performers already in the program are saying that it is life-changing, and that is so rewarding. To give you a hint of the pathway, I can tell you that all six phases start with a C. Number one is clarity, vision, goal-setting. Then we go into confidence, artist identity, and motivation. Phase three is captivate. We'll embrace your personality, your image, your story. And then get into competitive edge, your niche, your tribe. And phase five is content creation. It's your EPK and social media, and blog, website, all that good stuff. And number six is communication, people skills, and PR. The bonus are courage and creativity. Courage and creativity will be themes throughout all the phases, as building and maintaining a career in the arts takes Courage. As a creativity coach, I understand the anxiety and internal struggles that come up. So you'll have one-on-one support. It's a one-on-one coaching program where we meet virtually over Zoom. And all the details are coming very soon. And I'll be giving away some free coaching sessions in March. If you are interested, shoot me an email, diane at Dianevoy.com. And I'll send you the link to apply for a spot once it's available. I'm very excited. You figure out how to sing, dance, and act, and I'll help you thrive. I'm also excited for today's guest is the Artistic Director of Caché Dance, Kevin A. Ormsby. He works as a dancer, choreographer, and art strategies consultant. He is the program manager for Cultural Pluralism in the Arts Movement, Ontario, professor of dance performance at Centennial College, and an adjunct artist with Dance Exchange in Washington, D.C. His bio is just full of more titles and awards and achievements that I would just be listing things for the next hour. So I'm going to skip those. (laughs) And with a career that spans 30 years, he's performed with various companies and projects in Canada, the Caribbean, and the United States. He currently sits on the board of NIA Center for the Arts, Dance Collection Dance, and Toronto Alliance for the Performing Arts. Okay, that's more titles. Anyways, I hope you enjoy it. So what have been some of your career highlights?
1: I think there have been um, many through my career. I I call my privilege, I started very young in the field. But I would say when I was, if I look at the Toronto or the Canadian aspects of it, because this is a Canadian podcast, Dancing with Ballet Creole at 16 to 24 has been um, and was a very, very um, instrumental development part of my career. So I was already dancing professionally while in high school. Um, and so the, sort of the independence that gave me to work with actually three companies um, over a, a 5 8 year period, five- to eight-year period um, in the city mean, meant that I had financial stability when most kids were probably still depending on their parents for allowances, for example. What that has done is I have a huge collection of also music um, from the 90s into the 2000s because of that. Um, so those, that's one highlight where Ballet Curl is concerned. Um, I like to chart my sort of history in the city with the companies that I supported, where, my, um, where I now live with my many titles in my body and also in my mind. And so that it also includes Dance Caribbean Performing Company, which is an Afro-Caribbean performing company that I also danced with, and then um, Afro-Caribbean, not Afro-Caribbean, Caribbean Folk Performers, actually, which is a group that propulsed me into leadership before I knew what that was. Um, and it was a great experience. It wasn't at all traumatic. It was a space where I was able to actually look a lot at what was going to be my creative practice moving forward. Um, I was the assistant artist artist director for that company for about five years. And that's sort of what stands out as an accomplishment for me on the sort of Canadian side. I think at 24, what really stands out um, above a lot of the other work is um, dancing in New York, dancing in the States with Garth Fagan Dance. was the choreographer of The Lion King, but in his own company. Um, and that came after university, not necessarily thinking about it. It literally just landed in my lap and I jumped at the opportunity of, um, of dancing in the States. It, it has offered me a more deeper pra- in, uh, understanding of my practice and how technique and training um, and a company structure supports the sort of company model that I now work with. Uh, and that was six years of amazing touring the world, performing with, you know, um, Winter Marcellus, who is, a, you know, a Pulse Prize yeah, jazz yeah, musician. I don't really <laughs> you know who he is. Yeah, and also performing at Jazz at Lincoln Center when it just opened, you know, and doing um, an hour, two hour work um, with a 70 member jazz orchestra, you know, um, like, doing jazz festivals in Italy and performing on rake stages and and performing in Hawaii and just a whole bunch of rich experiences that have um, really shaped my career in many ways. Um, In that particular company, I was also the registrar of the school. So it brought me into literally into the ways in which training supports the dancers, but also supports our community. Um, And that was really... Really magical, and I think one of my highlights and my accomplishment is actually speaking about uh, working in the States. Right.
0: Yeah. um, Oddly, my listeners are international. Mm -hmm. I actually have more listeners everywhere else except Canada. (laughs) 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 I'm really big Mm -hmm. in France.
1: Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) And I had Akon on, and oh my God, the entire world. (laughs) Um, he's kind of famous
1: (laughs) he's kind of famous and amazingly good at philanthropy as well so um, i think the 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 new world of the arts is one where artists and or you know superstars are philanthropic are supporting causes and are supporting um other things that are beyond the arts itself
0: yeah for sure so Mm -hmm. how did all this start for you where are you from? And uh,
1: Flashback. What? <laughs> I said flashback. I'm originally Jamaican. Yeah. I was born in Jamaica. Um, actually started in sort of television field there as a, as a young kid. I was three when I was um, actually on television um, with Miss Lou, Miss Louise Bennett Coveley, who was actually um, Jamaica's most lauded folklorist. She's 100, it's her 100th anniversary this year. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and I started at her feet. Um, so I learned a lot of the cultural practices um, in that experience. And later moved on to doing music theater. Um, in Jamaica, a lot of kids are placed in like, music theater programs. Um, I did that with a, a, another organization called Kid Stuff, which did a lot of clown mining um, dance works. And I've been in the arts since I was three. Wow. Um, that's <laughs> 31 years, I'm 44. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been a long time.
0: Yeah,
1: um, And just humbled for those particular experiences. Um, sorry, did I say uh, 41 years um, that I've been actually actively in the arts. Um, and then from there, I went to also a, a all boys high school that was really, really popular not just in athletics, but also in the arts. And so we have a national competition in Jamaica called the Jamaica Cultural JCDs called Festivals, but it's where anyone from any high school, any community, anyone who has a performing arts ensemble can enter once you're an amateur and not professional company. And so that shaped a lot of also the sort of theatrical, music, theater, drama, um, oratory um, practices that I also have um, in my sort of physical body and being. Um, and there of course did many plays was nationally awarded did dumb poetry, um, before coming to Toronto. So, um, I came to Toronto in 1992, uh, family has been coming back and forth for a while. Um, we've had, you know, family here for since the seventies. Um, and yeah, Toronto was home. Toronto has been home. Did it in high school, went to Lester B. Pearson in Scarborough. Um, many, many, many popular people. DJ Black Cat that works in the LGBT community went was a colleague of mine in high school. Um, Tamla Matthews Morgan actually was one of, a, a dear friend of mine married, uh, was married to Dwayne Morgan, the the, the famous poet, um, who introduced me to dancing in, not just in the, in, in the Canadian space, but also with a company in, in Scarborough. Right. Um, so we did that, did music, was on the choir, did drama, uh, started a dance ensemble in high school with, with a teacher, a colleague of mine, um, yeah, and, and you know, it's again, the arts is all I know. I went to York, um, did not do the arts at York, I did have a communications political science degree from York. Um, because I was destined to be a journalist, a writer in, on the, in the arts.
0: Right. Is, how, how did that change happen? Did you just, you just had that um, desire to write, um, or what made you go to university?
1: Um, I think, you know, I dance. had always had that, that, that desire to write, and I knew that I was dancing all my life. Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't necessarily something that I needed to get formal training in, because I was already trained. Right. Um, Part of the story about being in Jamaica was I also was a youth um, trainee in the what is our Edna Manning College of the Visual and Performing Arts, which is our um, and the Caribbean's national, in the English-speaking Caribbean in particular, national um, or regional training institution for artists. Okay. Um, so I was in the youth program. I was in the drama, School of Drama Youth Program and also in the um, School of Dance Youth Program as well. So. Um, very much trained in terms of starting out with ballet, modern dance, um, and then actually coming to Toronto and getting a more African, Afro-Caribbean sensibility, which is quite odd. You (laughs) figure I'm Jamaican, I would get that in Jamaica. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Colonialism is real. (laughs) (laughs) You were straight up ballet in... Straight up ballet. Mm -hmm. Ballet, modern dance. Cool. Um, You know, this is a complete switch musicality came into being when I realized that, you know, there was this rich uh thing around like texture and tone in music that came from um the African sensibilities and how it, you know, was polyrhythmic based. Um and a lot of that appreciation came from also being at York and being um for the first two years in sort of the interdisciplinary type programs where I was able to, you know, go into inter arts as a program and and do stuff with dance and also music theater. Um, at york in terms of taking courses and i think that's where my interest in writing um primarily about the arts came about right. um very much an intellect where it comes to research and stuff um, related to the arts and i think that was a spark for me um then
0: right and so what were the first steps after you finished school
1: i packed my bag and <laughs> went to the states <laughs> Well, it's yeah, that was the first steps, literally. Um, after what achieving was it that
0: you really wanted to do at that time? Like, what was your Dance. goal? Dance.
1: Okay. Dance. Dance. Dance was the goal, um, and how even the whole state side of things happened. I was um, going to apply for a grant. I think I'd, I'd, I'd reached a limit in Toronto, where um, I, I, I think I'd reached the top, the tr- threshold of what it meant to be a black dancer in Toronto. Right. Um, You know, having principal role with Ballot Creole, working also for the organization in some administrative capacities. And I realized that um, I might have wanted more, you know, and for me, more wasn't here. So I wrote a grant. um, And in the summer of 2000, I was successful with my first grant, and it was to the Canada Council. And many people said it wouldn't happen because it was my first grant.
0: But it happened,
1: and it took me to both American Dance Festival, which is a six week program in Durham at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and also then to uh, Bates Dance Festival, which is in Maine. Um, And so I was gone for 10 weeks and during that time um, made some contacts with Garth Fagan Dance. I had a friend of a friend from Jamaica, my first dance teacher from Jamaica, Uh, his friend was in the company. And then he said that they'd possibly be looking for dancers by December. And that was August. And uh, by December, I did an audition. I was in a show here in Toronto, actually. Went down, did the audition. Um, One day, that's all I had. Normally, they, they audition people for a week. And I was told I was successful and I should go home and wait for my U.S. visa papers, which came in January. And I was gone. That was January 2001.
0: Cool. And how long did you live in the States
1: or travel? Six years. Six years. Yes. I, I lived there from 2001, January through to uh, 2016, September, 2016, 20, 20, 2006, September.
0: 2006. And you were traveling mm-hmm. most of that time?
1: Traveling. Yeah. Um, so New York, <laughs> Rochester, Rochester wasn't really home. It was of the years I was there, probably we were home of those years, two and a half, almost two years. Yeah. We were constantly in the road. And again, um, because of that work he had done with Wynton Marcellus um, in the late early nineties, um, the resurgence of resurgence of that work was, you know, somewhat popular again because the Jazz at Lincoln Center was just being finalized. Um, and of course Garth Fagan Dance is the choreographer for the Lion King, so then it was now more um, traction for his work across the country i think touring has changed a lot since then um i remember that first month i was gone i was in the studio for four days and i had a month on the road you know so i was even learning material while on tour um and we toured significantly significantly significantly
0: what do you love or and or hate about touring
1: um (laughs) I've learned to pack lightly, <laughs> right? but what I love about, I love the fact that you're in different spaces and interacting with different people and getting different sense of what um, they see as the arts or see as a, their relationship to the arts. Right. What I don't like is the fact that sometimes you're changing spaces every three days. Yeah. You know, and just as you're about to get settled in a particular space is sometimes when you're just leaving. So sometimes you, know, you go to these beautiful places and you just don't get enough time to actually enjoy them right. and to enjoy those particular cultures and those particular spaces. Um, that happened mainly in sort of the Western Hemisphere in Canada and or in, in America. But when we went further away, because it was further away hours-wise where it involved time zone changes, we tended to have a lot more time to just, you know, maybe it's a week or two weeks. You had more time to just enjoy those particular spaces and the cultures and the histories of those particular spaces.
0: Right, what were some of the, uh, what was some of your favorite places to visit?
1: Um, Hawaii. Yeah, wow. So we did a lot of Hawaii. Um, I've been to, of the five islands, I've been to four of them. Um, I loved and fell in love with Lyon. You speak of France. I fell in love with Lyon, we did Maison La Danse, that's what I will take that experience with me forever. We did five encores um, in Maison La Danse wow. in, 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 in Lyon. Um, and though we were tired and we're like, let us go, they were just kept going <laughs> and it was a great, a great experience. Um, wow, 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 wow. Um, this is good for dragging my memory. <laughs> <laughs> so this
0: is your um, life.
1: Yeah, it was great to come and perform in Toronto and to perform on the premier what was then the premier dance theater theater stage, and to know that I was a Torontonian in this nationally internationally known company.
0: Right. Um, cool.
1: that, that, was, that was an interesting period of time. I enjoyed also the Czech Republic. We were in uh, Firth, which is close to the border with Germany. Um, and that was also a beautiful um, sort of intersection of the Czech Republic, the then Czech Republic and, um, and Germany, architecture-wise. Italy was also good. We did Perugia. Wow. Um, so we did the Perugian Jazz Festival, which I guess the craziness was there, was that that show started at 12 a.m. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um And it was 12 a.m. on a rake stage where you're doing turns and leaps up a rake stage and then turning back down the stage. And, um, but it was just great. Again, there were jazz audiences. So they were intricately involved in that performance so much that at the end, it was three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, and they were still engaging with you. Right. You know, um, that was an interesting experience because I've never performed at 12 a.m. Like when we were told the show starts at 12 a.m., we were like, what? <laughs> but also Perugia and the Umbrian region is a really, really magical and beautiful space. Um, Rome, you know, some of those Greco-Roman history um, spaces were also really nice. Cool.
0: And so from there, um, what made you return to Toronto? Um.
1: I, 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 I arrived at a point where I wanted to do more than just dance. Um, and realizing that my main focus in guard figure dance was going to be just dance, um, primarily, I decided to come back home. Um, I came back home, and I was the assistant to the artistic director at Ballet Creole for about two years, and I realized that that wasn't going to work for me either because I'd gone away, and then six years it had passed. And I was having the same sort of relationships that I did six years prior. Um, And it felt like I wasn't growing as much as I wanted to. And so I then decided to form my own company um, and also then began working with, where I'm now a program manager, talk about the titles, um, of Cultural Pluralism in the Arts Movement Ontario. So I wanted to just do more on the arts admin side and then also on the creative side and also research. Right, And those particular moments and spaces and companies were not going to allow me to do, the, to do those things. Right. Um, and that was a big shift for me, but I think a very beneficial one, um, given that that happened around two, 2008, 2009. Um, and yeah, Cash Dance has been going since around that time. Cool.
0: And what kind of productions have you done there?
1: Um, with Caché Dance, <clears throat> we basically work with a, a model called the CRP process, which, is, which comes out of the States where I'm an adjunct, adjunct artist with a dance exchange. So Liz Lerman created this process that is about giving feedback and response and how artists can understand and use it. Um, we use it in a way where it is informed by creation, uh, research and presentation. So Caché Dance is a company. Every work that we do involves um, a series of research into the work material. Um, that work also includes movement vocabulary from Africa and or the Caribbean states, um, and would also sometimes include um, social activism. We spoke about earlier, advocacy. So the work varies. Uh, we enjoy partnership. I have partnered a lot and significantly with um, Christopher Walker, who is a professor at University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, our most popular work right now is actually going to be touring to St. Catharines. Um, the first week in March, and it's being performed in March 5th and 6th at the first Ontario um, Performing Arts Centre. And that work was looking at um, homophobia and misogyny in the Caribbean space or in the African diasporic space. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. It has, has toured extensively. Again, it's our most popular work, about maybe 5,000 audience members across North America and the Caribbean have seen that work. Um, and it actually was in performance in New York on the night of Orlando, which um, brought the, the, the currency and brought the importance of that work full circle and brought all the idea of research around um, homophobia and potential violence against um, primarily male bodies, but also female bodies in many spaces um, to light. Um, yeah. So yeah, the company works Every work, our next work, which is going to be premiering this May um, at a theater center, May 28th to 30th, is looking at basically reimagining what exactly is the, the Black and Caribbean influence and experience in Canada. Um, it's, not, it's normally um, said, oh, you know, you hear it a lot. How long have you been here? And for the most part, it goes back to the Multiculturalism Act in 19, the 1960s. But what um, is missing in that language is, again, Jamaica's national dish, which is ackee and codfish, is salted cod from Nova Scotia. So there's a history of Jamaican maroons that were actually sold into Nova Scotia as Black people um, in exchange for codfish. Right. Um, so it's really about what are we reimagining? What, what are we reimagining about Black presence and experience um, in this particular country moving forward? And how is that deeply influenced by then the Caribbean bodies that are also diverse, that are also white, that are also South Asian, that are also Chinese, that are also um, Persian and, and Lebanese. and um, So it's a, really a conversation about what is multiculturalism, what is the idea of culture that arrives and comes from the Caribbean space.
0: Cool. This um, is where you get your research. You get to, the research, <laughs> you get yes. to research all this. It's really cool.
1: Yes. And again, so I you tied that go down
0: into, a, a rabbit hole.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. And, you know, you start to unpack way more information. Um, and so I got, again, everything's tied to research and I got a Chalmers Fellowship from the Ontario Arts Council um, about two and a half, almost three years now, that was to look at um, cultural nuances from the Caribbean space and to codify that into some of the language that exists in the company's um, technical training. Um, and some of that research also will be a part of the show um, in, the, in the pre-show exhibition. But yeah, it's right. It's like you see all these beautiful things that, you know, it's, it's, it's such a subject. I think human beings is such a subject for dancers, as are musicians, right? It's you hear the sounds and the sights and, you know, soundscapes happen and you hear them. And when you're that curious about what they mean, um, certain things just open up. And that's what happened with this particular production.
0: it's important to know our history too. It's like, sometimes we get kind of caught up in what's happening today.
1: Yes, yes. And we sometimes forget that that history has a longer uh, connectivity to other things that has happened in our lifetime and or happened in other person's history. Yeah. You know? um, and I, I love music for that. Um, I just love the idea of music for that. One of my pieces I did a couple of years ago is called Recalcitrare. Um, and I was told I'm a recalcitrant because I resist authority uh, too much, or I question authority too much. Um, and that piece was looking at classical. You know, we, we, When we hear classical music, we think of only a particular period that involves white Euro- Euro- Europeans. But if it's a classical period, then it was a time, it was a date, it's a chronology in dates. And so I was curious about what other music structures, um, musical instruments existed during the classical period Um, and found that the kora did, you know, uh, that beautiful, majestic sounding um, Malayan instrument that also predates the banjo and the guitar. Um, and is influenced by that. Uh, you find out that the erhu, which is a Chinese, the one string Chinese violin did. Um, and you find out that wind-stringed instruments from the classical European period existed. So this work, beautifully through a, another uh, journalist and, and reviewer in the city, landed in my lap, this CD, um, chamber music, which was Baleke Sissoko and Vincent Siegel, and one a cellist, won a chora player, and they made this absolutely beautiful album. And that album was basically the impetus for that particular choreography and for that particular um, piece of music.
0: Right. <clears throat> and what do you think makes a good choreographer?
1: Wow. Oh, wow, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, it could go I any way. <laughs> I'm coming to understand that a good choreographer is one that listens. Right. And it's one that is intuitive. Um, and is one that actually um, are, are about the moments, not the moments expected, but the moments that arrive out of, um, in the moment. So the, I used to, I have this big black book. I used to write everything out. I remember being that choreographer. Actually, S- speaking of the piece we just spoke about, Rikasit that's how it was created. Everything about the choreography was mapped into this book,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, you know. And I was that, that very structured, systematic choreographer for the very long time. Um, so but it was not until I went, to, <laughs> yeah, like you know, I want this, and I you need to do this and this and this and you know, um, this is what I want. This is what I think it is. You know, and now I don't work that way anymore. Now I've realized that through my work with The Dance Exchange, that creativity should be fluid, that creativity happens in the moments when we least expect it. And so it's how are, you, how are you documenting and noting those things? And that's why you need to be really aware when in those moments and actually having time and hopefully funding to stop and to unpack those moments because those are the magical moments. Um, so it's never about the presentation for me anymore. It's about the process.
0: Right.
1: You know, the process is where we learn that the, the the things that will go forward in our in our creative practice. Um, the performance is fleeting; it happens and and it, it's gone, and no two performance will be the same. But the process can always lead you to a better performance.
0: And what about auditions? Um, any advice for either you know performers? auditioning now or any experiences that you've had that stand out?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's something about taking the front. There's something about being in the front of a room. Uh, if there's any advice, it's never to go to the back. Right. It's, you cannot audition if you cannot allow yourself to be seen and to be vulnerable in that moment. um, I auditioned, so the funny thing is before going to Garth Fagan dance, I auditioned for The Lion King when it was in Toronto. Um, And though for me it was literally so that I could be seen by Garth Fagan, I never knew that it would lead me uh, two or three months later to his company. Um, What was interesting in that moment is in conversation with Garth after, um, while in the studio space, while now it hired by his company. He said, you appeared too weak to do the Lion King's work. Now, for me, his work is way harder. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's a regiment, a re- <clears throat> sorry, a regiment and a schedule like at figure Dance that is about creating what I call a mercenary for dance. Like you are ready to be in the moment and to execute the work at any given point in time. Um, and I said it to say that in an audition, It's important that some people step forward and it's not a very Toronto thing. Yeah. Where it's not a very Canadian thing. We're very nice about it.
0: Everyone kind of, oh, you go front. You You go front.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, you you go. And I'm just, you know, and at some point we're losing the power that exists in actually leadership and stepping forward and taking and commanding space and commanding control of one's destiny in that particular way. And so if I have any any advice for other persons out there, and it could be in any practice, is be in the moment of taking space. Taking up space, though it might be scary and you might be very vulnerable about it, is going to be one of some of the best lessons about either getting the job or some of the best lessons in how you actually navigate that space with somebody else. And that is the most important and valuable thing I could ever contribute to any space, is how am I? actually learning from and contributing to that space because i've taken up a part of that space
0: i would think that's surprising because i would think at a dance um audition everyone would be pushing to be at the front <laughs> mm-hmm. it's your shot mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's a shot right but i don't think a lot of people in Tor- in canada or in toronto see it like that
0: right
1: you know um yeah i, I think there is I actually was in my company last week and I, I, there, I was in a practice with the National Ballet um, where I do some consulting work and we were looking at some processes. And one of the processes that Brenda Zimmerman came up with, which is, used to be a professor at York, um, was around um, the idea of using cooperation and competition together. So they're not separate things. So you're not going, I'm going to cooperate with you and then enable each other. Right. We're also not going to go compete and then uh, pull someone down. So that particular exercise was looking, our concept was looking at the idea of how, through mixed cooperation and competition, you are actually building a better environment to learn and to excel.
0: Right.
1: And it's you have to be competitive, competitive in this particular field or in any field in the arts. Yeah. You have to. You have to start to look around and see others. It your age, like you, who are achieving, and ask those critical questions. How they are achieving in comparison to me, And can I achieve more? And you have to be very competitive in those moments because that's where your longevity in a career stands. That's where the work is. So then you can go back in and you can really question your work ethic and what you need to do to achieve and arrive to those particular spaces like others have.
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to um, what I saw you teach and what I teach as well is knowing what you want. Mm-hmm. Vision, you know, what? what is it that you want in this career? Yeah, yeah. N- unless you know that, you don't know where you're going.
1: <laughs> no, you don't, right? And then you're, so you're, you're gonna be in a, in a cycle where, you, um, you are constantly doing and doing more but not achieving and then maybe not questioning why that is because sometimes it's just shifting or thinking about shifting a little small piece of the puzzle and maybe that lesson can come from looking at a competitor Yeah, I have a communications degree so for me I think the idea of branding the idea of understanding again as you mentioned um what that vision is and how that vision can be achieved is 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 also a part of that as well
0: yeah so one of your titles is arts strategies
1: consultant mm-hmm. what's that <laughs> um so i use a lot of this the because of my work in advocacy and because i also do a lot of jury work for like the Toronto Arts Council and the Ontario Arts Council and the Canada Council, um, I do a lot of work in just strategies that organizations need. Like I mentioned, being a consultant with the National Ballet, yeah. though, it's SEPAMO, it's about idea thinking in the arts and it's about the strategies that can lead to, um, better organizations, um, more impactful organizations or organizations that are really thinking about what community means. Um, so that's some of the strategies that I, that I animate when I walk into my facilitations and in certain spaces. It's literally around, um, are there other information out there that is missing from that particular organization or, or artists, and how can they then use and implement those particular ideas as part of their overall structure as well? Um, because I work in advocacy and because I'm really curious about like, demographic changes <clears throat> and or audience numbers, you know, they're not separate things. So part of that would be to link the marketing, link the artistic practice, link the community engagement, link the audience engagement, link all those pieces together in one. You know, um, looking at things like, so how are you engaging with your social media? What are some of the messages that you're talking about on your social media? Is it only the artistic message? Because the artistic message will alienate some people because they go, oh, I could never do that. Or, oh, I would never do that. But if you talk about this sort of individual growth because of the arts or through the arts, then you're talking and connecting with more people, which potentially mean that you're impacting more people, which potentially mean that those particular persons might want to come to your show. Yeah. You know, so it's really about the strategies that, it's about human strategies as well. Um, There's a a program at at OCAD in, in design thinking, and it's primarily for business. I like to think of it as design thinking for the arts. So the strategies that are created, I do a lot of strategy plan as well um, for different organizations. And it's literally just thinking about um, what you already do. How do you do it? And then how do you can think about amplifying what you do um, to create more meaning for others? And so that's the sort of art strategy consulting that I do.
0: Right. And so... What are some of the questions that young dancers ask you when you mentor? (laughs) What are all those questions that they're like dying to ask you? And what are the answers?
1: You know, it's very interesting. And I smile. The reason I smile is a lot of them are always judgment-based. Oh, yeah? A lot of them are always, am I doing it right? Right. Or um, is this what you think I should do? And so that's why I smile because I think, to step back before I answer that question, um, I think we've created a system and a sector that is about um, judging or a persons thinking that the first thing they should think about is how good they're doing at something.
0: Right.
1: Rather than how they can be better at something. Um, so other questions I get asked are stuff around process, or stuff around, um, you know, what else can they do? What what um what other aspects of the arts can they can they can they put into their programming or into their thoughts or into their work? A lot of the question is also around how do I as an artist survive in the field?
0: Right.
1: Um, because it's been it's becoming more challenging to actually survive as an artist alone. And um that decision I've made since I, I left um in 2001 um to just this is all i do so whether it's in my communication experience or my other experiences it's totally in the arts a lot of questions i get asked is how to make a living from it
0: yeah
1: um and even there some of my suggestions is to not think about the idea of um only it being in performance some of the ways I made a living was that I did both arts education and community practice, as well as my professional practice. And so some of the ways I also experience my work now is because of those experiences. So I worked as an artist and educator for the Ontario Arts Council in schools. Um, this was a certification program. You have to go in, you have to like do the certification and then create um, a, a roster of schools that wanted to have you come in and um, engage with them. And that was uh, a great learning experience. So I often say to, to dancers, you know, think of the ways in which your dance can, can fit into many pockets of things.
0: Yeah, so it's so, not, just um, yeah, not just the one performing lane. performing
1: and project-based, but can you do some research? Or can you work in admin? Can you work in a community setting? You know, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, there's more to uh, making a living in the arts than just yes. the performance side.
1: Yes, yes. Um, so those are some of the, the questions that I get asked the most. Some of the other questions are around process. Right. Um, and because I work with the critical response process from the Dance Exchange in the States, um, a lot of the questions that, that I get asked there is um, how to create sort of structures from that process, how to create, how to, to get feedback, how to move uh, like careers forward or creations forward Um, through process, you know, um, and I often say collaborate. I often say that, you know, there's someone else out there asking the same question. And so, you know, collaborate, see who wants to work with you and create a structure about how you collaborate. And that might be with musicians, that might be with dancers, that might be with theater people, that might be in um, as many aspects of the community as possible. Right? Because um sadly, the dance community in Toronto is very isolated, and you have different genres of contemporary dance working in different spaces across the city um, and so for many artists of many backgrounds, I often say, "Hey, go take a different dance class you can't like the most the more versatile you are as an artist is the more you can actually make a living wage and or understand the work that you need to do as an artist, or you could be doing as an artist.
0: Yeah, and Uh, and branch out from your own community and your own, you know, if you're just only hanging out with fellow dancers, you're only gonna grow so much.
1: You're only gonna grow so much. Very well said. I also say that to my dancers a lot. I said, if you look around you and all your friends that you see are dancers, then you need to brush your teeth, comb your hair, Mm Put on something nice. You feel good about, and you need to go into a different community and engage with that community. Go meet some actors and musicians. Someone else. Go meet some actors and musicians. Some bankers. So go have number one a social life, but have a life that is meaningful for what others can help you to do in your practice. Right. You know, uh, I often get the comment also. You know, I, I, you're always. I never see you in like sweats and dancer clothes. I go because. That exists in the studio. You know, I'm if if I'm going straight to dance and back home or back to somewhere else to dance, you might see me in sweats. If not, I'm in a re- quote unquote regular clothes, jeans, yeah. and and that's for me is also I get it a lot about um, presentation. A lot about I get a lot of questions around. Um, how do, you know, one communicate and present themselves in, in, in different spaces? And I, I often say to people, you need to learn that particular space. Yeah. You need to learn how that particular space operates. And then from that particular perspective, you approach the space.
0: Cool. That's lots of great advice. Um, what passion project are you working on right now?
1: Oh! <laughs> What's getting you riled up? Well, <laughs> well, my show in May is getting me riled up because it's our 10th anniversary this year. And um, because of the subject matter, because of also the idea of reimagining. So it's called, um, talking about music, it's called Reimagining, Reimaginings. Uh, long title is Reimagining TPM. Uh, TPM is Time, Place, and Movement, but the idea Came from BPM, which is beats per minute, um, which is this idea of how do you associate and hear music and relate to music, and how do you understand that then as a as a as an impetus for for dancing and for movement. So I literally took, took the concepts 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 of BP, BPM um, and reimagined it around time, place, and movement. So my show. It's coming up. It's going to be. It's. It's probably the most out there interactive audience show. I want to have the audience dancing and clapping and competing with us on stage. Mm-hmm. There's the pre-show exhibition where all my research from the Caribbean space is in this in the in the lobby space, and it's. Uh, so it's part um, performance. It's part interactive. It's part durational, um, and I'm really I'm really excited about it because it's also signifying another shift in the company's company's work in Toronto. I'm also psyched about it because the work after that will be a solo work. So in 2021, I'll be 45, and that will be um, 42 years in in the arts, and it will then be also 35 years in dance. Um, And so I'm doing a solo work, um, which is looking at, again, three different aspects of things. One is the African, Afro-Latino-Mexican, to be exact, That's experience. Cool. One of my co-choreographers happens to have a, um, his grandfather be Afro-Mexican. <clears throat> and there's a huge history of like Afro-African-Mexicans um, that is now being unearthed. So we think of Latinos, we've been thinking of mainly um, a particular visual perception of what they look like. Right. Um, so that's one work and it's all collaborative. The next work is um, has already started. I did this um, installation work by again co choreographer Christopher Walker called the Seaweed King and it was looking and it is looking at sort of the 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 impact that human beings have on on the environment on the oceans in particular um and that piece is complicated because it it involves all these fabric that looks like seaweed and out of this this fabric emerged this king and he's really concerned about you know seaweed has in in, in the in the history of the world actually purifies the water of the oceans right. um so there's an environmental context to that particular piece about how human um are changing those particular relationships to not just the seaweed but are also killing um different species from the ocean um, so that's a really challenging piece because the fabrics actually determine what you do with the work. Wow! It's annoying, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a great challenge for me—a new um, challenge. <laughs> Forty-five. Yes. And then can't I'm hoping to, easy. Can't be easy. Oh no, no not at all. Um, so you know, Howell Valentin Martinez is choreography, and he's also the dance director at Northwestern University. Um, is going to be looking at not just the Afro-Latino experience in terms of Mexican experience, but also what it means to be um, black in the North American context. Right. So he's taking, we've taken images, we've started that work, we've taken images from um, Harlem, you know, in the, in the 1920s era, and we're using um, Miles Davis music. We're using jazz. I don't love jazz, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last work is hopefully going to be Marie-Josée Chartier, which is a French-Canadian uh, Toronto-based um, choreographer. And we did this work about maybe five years ago now um, at Tank House um, at, in the Soul Pepper space, which was about Sam Melville. And Sam Melville was a part of the Attica riots in the 1970s. Um, but his um, his him inciting the riot really changed what are some of the conditions that now exist in the American penal system and the prison system in America. Um, So this particular piece is very physical and it goes into the sort of physical and mental intellectual space he must have been in to actually um, understand the plight of black Americans in jail um, because he was also white um, and to incite and elicit their support in actually being a part of the, the Attica riots. Um, and so that work is, it's 19 minutes. So I'm doing three solos over a, a night um, of performance and it's three different solos and it's going to signal the next change and also where my company goes. So I'm really excited about it um, because we're now going to be working on smaller scale projects as well as large scale projects okay. over the next 10 years. Um, And so that's the first of the experiments, knowing that also the work that we'll do in May, which involves eight dancers, um, musicians, composer, and everything of that nature, will also be going on at the same time. So those two things are, yeah, they got me going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, I usually ask guests what is their why, but yours is very clear. (laughs) I don't know. It's in your soul. It's my soul. Yeah, it's just a part of you.
1: It's it's been and yeah, it's it's all I know. Yeah, all I know. And I think the why is I think part of the why for me now I'm coming to understand is as artists we should reflect the society. We should give back to the people in the society who might not have the courage to do what we do, but might want to. Yeah.
0: That's me. <laughs> I dedicate my life to you performers. I'm
1: not a performer, yeah.
0: <laughs> but I just love you so much.
1: <laughs> no, you know, and thank you for that. But I, as I like to say, I will get everybody dancing. I think we're all dancers. The difference between you being a musician or playing music and or dancing is, may, might be technique as mm-hmm. we know it, but it might just be the way in which it's, it's been communicated to you yeah and so yeah. I love to that's why and i that's why I love working also in community because you get to give them back their movement and their stories in a way that they never thought possible. It's not about pointing your feet or jumping high or turning. it's about how human movement this move mu- these movements that we have in our bodies every single day can be the subject for choreography,
0: yeah, because if you if you just not think about movement and you just let your body go with the music. You never know what will happen, but you feel you good.
1: But, and that's dancing.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and that's dancing. So, yeah, that's um, my live school. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. So, where can people find you online?
1: They can find me online um, on Facebook. It's Kevin A. Ormsby. They can find the company on Facebook at Kasher Dance, K A S H E D A N C E. Likewise, I have a Twitter, which is Kevin A. Ormsby. Uh, Instagram, which is also Kevin A. Ormsby. Um, and the company's is at cashadance one on both Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and then, and then of course, website. So the company's website is Cashadance.com.
0: Cool. Any final words?
1: No, final words. <laughs> Live, breathe feel dance yes and also take time for self balance balance yeah
0: wonderful well thank you so much
1: thank you and i'm glad we finally got to meet this happen
0: yeah it was so great and we'll definitely keep in touch i want to go to your shows
1: oh no definitely i will definitely communicate with you when it gets closer
0: thank you so much
1: no thank you diane
0: it was so inspiring talking to Kevin. I love dancers. I know I am a dancer. I'll own that. I'm just not a professional dancer, but I I can rock some Janet Jackson and Jennifer Lopez uh, choreography. So, anyways, um, for all you professional performing artists or working your way towards being professional performing artists listening, you should join the Facebook group at com slash Facebook. And for links and a transcript, visit singdanceactthrive.com slash 039. And again, if you're interested in finding out more about the Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive Progress Pathway Coaching Program, shoot me an email, at dianefoy.com or hit me up on socials at Diane Foy PR. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers.